This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast, and today we're blessed we have two guests on the podcast, Kevin Stoffel and Brent Haltman of Strong People Systems. They're in the office down from up north in the Denver area. Thanks so much for coming in, guys. A pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about your business and who you serve. So we are Strong People Systems, and we focus really on unlocking human potential, and really falls into two areas, working with small to medium-sized companies where first we help companies bring some objective data into the hiring process to do a better job of getting the right people on the bus, to go along with the subjective resumes and interviews where people look great on a resume, interview like a rock star, but then turn out to be somebody else when they get on the job. We bring some objective data into that process using some pre-employment screening assessments, and then working with existing staff really to develop the potential of those people. If we ask the question you know, to most of us, you know, are you loading up your potential really? You throw that really piece on there, and most people say, yeah, not really. The more I could give, more I could do, more I could achieve if I could get out of my own way. And one of the reasons that we typically don't work with larger enterprises, large companies, because you know that's the background, at least for myself, is what we realized is that everybody says our people are our most valuable asset. But then if I ask the leader to demonstrate how they do that, I'll catch them flat-footed because most big companies say that, but then they have a really hard time actually demonstrating that they truly do it. And we're not willing to engage with a client that's not serious about really developing people. If they want us to go fix their people, you know, they'd say, oh, we need you. Go fix my people. That's a non-starter. We won't sign a contract in that case. Usually when it's fix my people kind of an attitude or mentality or thought process, I always tell people, be careful when you point the finger of blame at your people. Because there's three fingers pointing back at you. And that's a lot of truth in that. So for the folks, okay, I'm a, what's your prototypical size business? How many employees? What kind of revenue? We usually go by employees Uh on that question because depending on the type of business you're in, revenues can vary. Sure. But ideally, target clients would be 25 to 500 employees. Okay. We work with clients smaller than that, clients bigger than that. But it's really about working with the individuals or teams within those organizations to uh, unlock their potential the talent that's already there. So I'm the business owner. And for the business owner that reaches out to you guys to bring you on board, what typical pain point or problem are they trying to solve when they reach out to you guys? It's a great question. Generally speaking, it's one of two things. It's I'm stuck. I've either plateaued or there's things that are outcomes we just have to accomplish that just aren't happening and they should be. Or it's if I could, I'd just fire everybody and start over, but I can't. Therefore, I'm in enough pain with my current team that I'm willing to take a risk on investing in them. And then the cool news is that once they look at doing an engagement with us, they're amazed at how the potential of the people they already had in place that they wanted to get rid of really is the right stuff. It was just being interfered with by different people's spears and head trash and by the current cultural situation within the company. The other thing that they're oftentimes dealing with is turnover. You know, turnover and employee engagement, and they can't figure out why. Why are they losing people? And why Gallup does their, their poll every year for, I think it's been doing, doing it for 15 years or better now. And only about 30% of the people, employees, are actually engaged in their position, in their job. And about, I think, it's, what is it, uh, 20 per, or 50% are actually disengaged, and another 20 or 30% are actually sabotaging the organization where they're trying to bring the organization down by bringing more people onto that negative bandwagon. So when you get 70% of your workforce that's disengaged or actively disengaged, 
that's a real real problem to achieving the kind of the performance that they're looking for as an organization. You know, I think about that as a business owner. So I've reached out to you guys, you've come on board, and I'm sitting in the office and you guys have just walked in. Walk me through that first engagement and then the subsequent process that you guys bring to bear. It really begins with getting at, is this a good fit? You know, are we of Seth Godin's book, Tribes, describes, you know, are we of the same tribe? Because if there's not a connection to where what's valuable to us is resonating with you, then we either need to get to a place where there is that connection or recognize that it's not a good fit between the two organizations. With that done, then we jump right into looking at, do you have good clarity around the strengths, the values, and the why of your organization and of yourself? Because if that's in good order, then it's typically about the strengths, values, and the why of the people on the team. So the disengagement really is a result of the fact that you've got things figured out, but it's not connecting in those three areas for your team. So it's not truly a team. You just have employees who have strengths, who have values, who have a why that they maybe even aren't in touch with because few of us have actually taken the time to really invest in ourselves to discover what our values, our strengths, and our personal why is. Maybe it would be useful to see if there's a fit. So let's say you came in to my organization and I'm an autocrat and it's my business and everybody else is it's very hierarchical. You know, I'm the guy. You know, I'm the rainmaker, I'm the operator, I'm the so on, and you come in and go, but my employees aren't engaged. Is that your prototypical client or no? It's not uncommon at all. And actually, I have to smile, Bob, because I enjoy that because when I'm working with a CEO or a business owner, I understand what that looks like because I came out of thinking that's the way you had to be to be a leader. And so I'll, I'll start to have a conversation with you to say, I get it. It's exhausting, though, isn't it? You can never blink. You always have to be right. You always have to offer all the answers. And after a while, there's some level of resentment because you start thinking, what am I paying all these people for? Because I'm doing it all anyway. But the reality is, part of it is, there's something going on, a dynamic in your culture where you're hanging on to things that you have hired people to take on, or there's something there. And so we need to explore that to figure out, out of that, is there stuff you're even willing to do something about? And either you need to make some changes in what you're expecting as far as outcomes go and engagement from your people or changes in the culture as far as how you engage with your people. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I was going to say, one of the things that your question made me think about is we've really, we're no longer in the industrial age, which was a command and control hierarchical structure, leadership and management model. We're in a different age. You know, some people call it the participation age, information age, the knowledge, you know, knowledge worker age, whatever you know, label you want to put on it. But we've got to move from this command and control structure where information starts, decision starts at the top, and by the time it flows down to the bottom and you get the feedback loop up, too much information has changed too fast. We're now in an, uh, an environment where you've got to work at a peer-to-peer -peer collaboration more level where you, get, you need everybody engaged. And telling people to, you know, to do a job because I said so is not a good answer. Yeah, that's the old military model. Yeah, yeah actually, Stan McChrystal did a good TED Talk on that not, not that long ago. You know, and, and I, so here I am, I'm the business guy, right? And we've had the first interview, for lack of a better term. And we go, yep, we're in agreement that you guys are on board. And so what's the next steps for that business owner and what you guys deliver? So the place we typically start is we have a survey, we call it a success GPS survey or assessment. 
And we either work, have people take that as either as an individual or as a team of individuals and aggregate the results of that. And it really gives the business owner a look into where are they as an individual at relative to what we call our GPS model, which stands for great people system, energy model. Where are they at relative to their own energy a cycle, if you will, uh, or path? And where is their team at? Where are their, their, their people at? So that they can know, are they on a positive energy path where as an individual or as, an, or as a team, where things are really they're getting the outcomes that they want, things are really humming along kind of thing? Or are they on a stuck path where things are kind of stuck or stagnant? Or are they on a negative path where they're actually getting more of what they don't want, which is the worst case scenario of the paths that an individual or a team can be on? So it really starts with that, just kind of taking a look at where are you and where's your team at? And then from there, we, you know, if they decide to engage us, then, then we move into looking at what are their, what are the strengths of the individuals? Because a team is really just a bunch of individuals, right? That need to all be clear, have a real clarity around who they are from a strengths and eight strengths perspective versus who they've been conditioned to be. And so we start to move into looking at that, that aspect of, of things, because that's so foundational to all of us as an individual. Are we playing from our strengths? Or are we playing from who we've been conditioned to be? If we're playing from who we've been conditioned to be, oftentimes that results in a, an internal struggle. Nature says I'm this, but, but society or conditioning says I'm that. And those are different things. And it creates an internal tug of war. So we've got to get people to their authentic self first. And that's the foundation where everything else builds from. And so you assess. Yeah, we have assessments. And you have your process for assessment. Yep. Right. And once you assess, and let's say I'm on that 50-person organization, and you have the assessment on all the players, and you come back in with past assessment to diagnosis or regimen. What's the next step after diagnose? Okay, really at that point, we're into what we call LEAP, Leaders Equipped to Actualize Potential. And really that program can be just for a business owner, a CEO. It can be for their executive team. It can be for the entire organization, depending on the objectives of the client, right? And what it does is it takes that awareness of where I'm either aligned in a positive way or I'm stuck or I'm on a negative path and I've got some clarity around, okay, now I get it why most of my people are disengaged and I'm frustrated because I have high turnover and these are the places where I'm naturally very strong. And these are things that I've learned how to be good at and this applies to the CEO, to their senior team, like say whomever it is that we're working with where it's like, all right, now that I'm aware of who I truly am, my innate strengths, that's stronger because I'm playing from who I really am. And that's energizing and sustainable. But I'm also clearer on what's conditioning. So it's stuff I've learned how to do, and I'm probably really, really good at it. But if I'm playing from my strengths, when I need to use that conditioning as a tool, then I'm more powerful. So I'm stronger in every avenue because I'm in a sustainable place being who I am, playing for my strengths, and I'm aware that my conditioning is a toolkit. And I like to think of it when we don't know that conditioning isn't truly who we are. I use the analogy of a sledgehammer. If I need to tear down a wall, I'll pick up a 20-pound sledgehammer and I'll take down the wall. But I recognize it's a tool with limited use. So when I'm done with that wall, I'm putting that thing down because it's heavy, it's exhausting to carry it around, and it's limiting. Because if I took out the wall, my next thought is I need to give you a pat on the back. You don't want me coming at you with a sledgehammer, right? So you've diagnosed and you've come in and looked at the team with some prescription. What do you do after that in the company to monitor or, or measure progression? Well, and we're working with the individual and or the team. Let's go with the team. So we're working with that group of leaders 
on two levels. We're working in a workshop environment for typically seven sessions, where they all together gain a cultural container that's a certain vocabulary around uh, personality types and strengths around this whole idea of being on a positive energy path or being stuck or being on a negative path. As far as the generator, which is the why, the strengths, the values, all these elements. So they have this context that they're all working from. And then in addition to that, we're working with each of them on an individual basis where we're helping them get at the stuff that's in their way, the head trash, if you will, that is the self-limiting beliefs, the, the emotional responses where, you know, so often there's stuff we know and we know we could or should do and we just don't. And it's a subconscious barrier that we really can't fix, but we're equipped to come in and work with them on that one-on-one basis. So that gets fixed and that gives them a stronger position to continue to build and their engagement with the whole. And it's that safe zone where if you're the CEO, your team doesn't have to know what you're afraid of, but you get a chance to deal with that and get it out of your way. When you guys go through this process with the business owner, and I don't know that the business, the responses or problems are typical or common, but what are the, if there are, what are the common precondition and, and post-condition effects? What do they say or what do you hear when you're talking to the customer before you get started and when the customer, when you get done with them? Yeah. Well, one of the things that comes to mind when I hear you ask that question is, is there's sort of this, these aha moments that occur oftentimes in the team environment, but a lot of times on the, on the one-on-one coaching component as well. Where people go, as an example, one of our clients said one time at the end of the program, I went into this, I thought it was going to be kind of the typical leadership, professional development type of training kind of you know, stuff that I've been through you know, before. But she said, you know, really, this was more of a self-discovery process. And that aha, discovering, you know, who you are as an individual and really investing in yourself, you know, the, the time and the energy to do that, it really is a, is a process. And there's an aha moment. So I, I thought I met myself. I knew myself, but, you know, I'm 50, you know, 53 years old, but I've really just met myself mm-hmm. for the first time, yeah. you know, and it's that kind of a moment that really is what we're about. And people go, wow, because awareness, you know, we all, you know, we like to say that as we increase awareness, understanding grows, as we increase understanding, acceptance grows, as we increase acceptance, kindness grows. And when we have those, that level of awareness, understanding, acceptance and kindness towards ourselves, then that's kind of the first aha moment. But once we have it for ourselves, then it's really, now I can have an awareness, understanding, acceptance of kindness towards others. And that's where relationships really start to form and develop and become more palatable. And that's where really teamwork starts to happen. And that's when an organization starts to unlock the potential of the team, the individuals as well as the team, is when you've got that, those foundational levels set so those relationships and that teamwork can really happen. Yeah, and uh, another way of answering that pre and post is, It's not uncommon for us to have a situation where there's that exhausted business owner CEO who feels like they're paying a lot of payroll and not getting a lot of outcome at the start. And then they're amazed at the end of the process, how they've changed their personal perspective and their engagement with their people and how much value their people are actually contributing that they had no idea those people had the ability or the potential to even come in and to strategically deliver and to actually go beyond what they had expected from those folks. Because yeah. when they go through it together as a team like that, mm-hmm. is that, that discovery process for the individual also enable, they're all, they're all doing it together. And they're kind of learning this, this stuff about themselves and each other together. And it creates a much more transparent, open ability, transparency and ability for people to really be vulnerable 
with each other. And when you get a culture of a team of people you know, being vulnerable with each other in a, in a business setting, that's when the magic really starts to happen as well. Because most company, most situations, business environments, it's not safe to be vulnerable because we've got to protect ourselves. You know? Still dragging the club, man. Yeah. And for the businesses that go through the process, and when you come back or visit with them at some point, what do they typically see either in revenue stream, what are you seeing as far as the bottom line change after they go through your process? That can vary an awful lot because, of course, if you're in pretty good shape and you're going from good to great, Mm -hmm. then it's going to be a smaller delta. If you're really stuck or you're in a bad place, it can be huge. But generally speaking, you can expect 10 to 20% shift simply because, as Kevin mentioned right at the start, there's that engaged, disengaged, actively disengaged spectrum. So if you can just reduce and ideally eliminate the actively disengaged and, you know, a strong, healthy culture of openness makes it hard for people to be actively disengaged. So if you get rid of that 20 or 30%, you're going to get a 10 or 20, easily a 10 or 20% gain. And then we always encourage our clients as we work with them to, uh, if they haven't yet benchmarked with key performance indicators around the things they really want to be paying attention to, that we baseline that and that they continue to monitor it. Just because you get on a positive path doesn't mean you can put it on autopilot and ignore it. You need to be paying attention. So when things start to shift, you can circle back and utilize that same approach that we teach in the the LEAP program to say, all right, we expected this, but we're not quite there. Why is that? And it's not, you know, Bob, you failed. It's we missed this or I own it. And I say, you know, I thought I got that, but it's clear that there was some vision there from the CEO that I missed. Because I thought I was delivering, and obviously there's a gap, so let's fix that. Do you find that um, business owners will engage you guys that are considered you know, strategic selling three, five, seven years down the road? Do they bring you guys on board to change their intangibles? Yeah, that's really ideal because one of the things that when we first put the company together was really apparent working with merger and acquisition folks is there's a lot of times where there's just this this vibe that the best people start to pick up on late in that process. And, you know, it's like the rats abandoning the ship, right? Where they know there's something up and they're out of there. Whereas if you've created this vulnerability in this safe zone and this engaged culture, then you're creating sustainable situation that's bigger than the, the owner who's selling. And we've actually experienced that where we've had organizations that suffered through some transitional leadership, not with a private company, but with CEOs, where the team and the culture was stronger than a bad CEO. And the board had made what they thought was a good hire, turned out to be a disaster. And the team was able to stay strong and to carry through in what could have otherwise been a pretty catastrophic situation with the loss, in one case, of two times where they had a CEO issue. And the team was stronger than either of those people. And the board and the, and the staff were able to continue on with a strong organization in spite of the fact that the key person two times in a row turned out to be a, a mistake. You know, for you guys, before we go too much further, for the folks going, how do I find you guys? How do they find you on social media? What's the proper website and, and whatnot? Our website is strongpeoplesystems.com. And you guys are both on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, both on LinkedIn. We're also on uh, Facebook as individuals. It's Kevin, S-T-O-F-F-E-L. 
Right. And Brent H U L T M A N. Right. On and LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, and then uh, I'm on Twitter uh, under my name, and we also have a Strong People Systems Facebook page. Okay. Cool. Have to get that out, or people go, "Well, that's all well and good. I can't find them." Right. So that's how they find you. Best kept secret. Is Absolutely. Not a good thing. Yeah. Well, shifting gears a bit, uh, going through the part where I get to quiz you guys to death. Perhaps a recent book or something that was influential in print that changed how you thought about your role. One that comes to mind for me is a book recently, I think it's only been out for about a year, called Power Shift. And it's really about the shift that's happening in the workforce, in the marketplace, from the baby boomers and the Gen Xers to the millennial generation. And the millennial generation has a different set of generational values, and they really are changing the way business is done. I kind of talked about it a little bit earlier in terms of the old industrial age mindset versus a new information or participation age mindset. And the millennials are driving that. They're already at 50% or more than 50% of the workforce. And so they're taking over just by, you know, by nothing other than the sheer uh, aspect of age. And so as boomers and Xers, we really need to open up to what are the value sets of the millennials. And I like to say the millennial generation, you know, there's a lot of negativity around the millennial generation. We actually see the millennials as a very positive influence and when I think about the millennial generation, what are they really asking for? They're asking for three things. They want to know why. And because I said so, it's not a good answer. The old industrial age mindset was like, you know, push this button or pull this lever. You know, why? Because I said so. You know, because that's what we got to do to keep the, the factory line moving kind of thing. But that's not the case anymore. We want people to bring their minds to work. And, and if, they know, if the millennials you know, know why, then they can solve problems and, and bring their technology savviness or their different way of looking at things to the, to the marketplace. They want to be developed as human beings. And that's a big piece of what we do. But they want to be developed as a professional. They want to grow and develop and grow as an individual. And they want to be some part of something larger than themselves and a, a cause or a mission or a vision. And so we've got to get clear about providing those three things for this next generation that's really taking over the workforce. But if you think about it, if we ask any boomer or Gen X or those same questions, do you want to know why? Do you want to be developed? And, and do you want to be part of something larger than yourselves? We'd all say yes as well. But the difference is with the millennial generation is if they don't get those three things in a work, sit, work setting, work, work situation, they're willing to walk out the door and go find, a, find an organization that, that do provide those three things. And so PowerShift really is about, you know, what do we need to do? How do we need to shift our thinking, get in alignment with where the workforce is going? And really where we need to go as boomers and extras as well, we're staying in the workforce. We just need to do business in the new age, not in the old industrial age. So that's a book that comes yeah. to me. And we always recommend, in fact, we buy copies of Malgram's Turn the Ship Around. And we give those to folks when they graduate from the leadership, the LEAP leadership program, because it really does a nice job of articulating a lot of the concepts that are in the LEAP program, where it's that idea of driving decision and ownership and responsibility to the level that it belongs. So it's not good ship, good captain, captain's gone, bad ship kind of a situation, but people own their stuff. And if you're the right person to solve something, it's yours. And you report up on it, but you don't have to wait for the boss to tell you. And also the idea of I intend to, where if I work for you, I let you know I intend to do this, which gives you the chance to say, wait a minute, you need to know about this other thing. And if not, it's mine. And you don't have to worry about owning my stuff because I do. So that's just a kind of general thing we like to have people have because it does a nice job. And hey, it's a nuclear submarine story. Who could go wrong with that? And then the other one for me is uh, Andy Crouch's culture making. And the really significant part in that is 
he talks about how there's a dynamic in culture where it's not this static thing where where we can sit down and say, let's create a culture and then invite others to it. Because as soon as we invite others to it, it's different. And when you recognize, as he articulates in the book, that what we make possible with culture makes other things impossible. It helps us really set more realistic expectations. Illustration in the book is the uh, advent of highways and the great highway infrastructure in this country made lots of commerce and freight and, and safe transit between locations possible. By making that possible, it made traveling from Boston to New York, I think was the illustration, on a horse, impossible. And so I think for leaders, for us to recognize that as we strive to accomplish new things, and as we bring new people in order to do that, there's an inevitability of cultural change. And I like to compare culture to a garden. Either you're tending it and you're getting a lot of abundant produce, or it's a weed patch. Well, for looking over your career, failure or at the time apparent failure that served you guys and your company well. Want me to go first? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of I resist the term serial entrepreneur, but it's descriptive because I have a checkered past. I've done a lot of things. And I've had business successes and exited companies where I sold, made money. And I've also had situations where I either took a job or launched something entrepreneurial and it just fell flat and it cost me a ton of money. And having that spectrum gives you that understanding that, you know what, as long as you're moving forward and you're not dead, you've got the ability to recover. So to get that resilience that comes from stuff didn't always go my way. And so looking back, it's like, yeah, I started that company and it failed. And at the time, you just feel like that's kind of the end of it. I suck. But the reality is that when you get over feeling sorry for yourself, there's a lot to be learned. And then in the role that we have now with the company that we have, it's really easy to sympathize and to connect with the challenges folks have. Because if your business is at that point where you're afraid it's going to fail, that's terrifying. And to be able to say, I get it. It's probably not too far gone to save it, but even in those situations where it is, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, for me, I think about, I started really discovering my why, my purpose in life, my calling, if you will, in the early 2000s. In 2003, started to pursue that from a career, a major, pretty major career shift in direction. I realized it was going to take a while to build up the executive coaching, leadership development. Initially, it was just kind of executive coaching kind of model to build up a client base to be able to support myself and my kids. And so I spent some time pursuing it, realized it was going to take a while, ended up taking a job with a friend of mine that got a company funded or whatever, thinking, well, I'll continue to you know, build my thing on the side kind of thing. And then a year and a half later, that company that I went to work for ran out of funding and uh, had to declare you know, bankruptcy. And so here I was a year and a half later and kind of really back to the same starting point of, well, I still don't have necessarily the financial resources I needed you know, to go off on my own, but it was really back at the same place. Like, this wire that's calling is still calling me. And so if I would have you know, paid attention a year and a half earlier, I should have, you know, hindsight in many ways, I should have stayed with the pursuit of my passion and not wasted a year and a half to only have the company go out of business anyway and then have to be right back at the same place. And I still got to figure out how to pursue my why and my passion. So I think that's finding that for all, all of ourselves is, is so critical to our success is pursue the, pursue the why. Life is too short to live somebody else's dreams or somebody else's why or purpose or passion in life. You got to live your own. 
couldn't agree more. If you guys could put an ad on the front page of the local business journal, sharing your message or advice, what would it say and why? It's kind of a fun one to ponder. My first thought was two local boys do good, great results for many clients, but that's a little campy. For me, I guess it's thinking about the specific stories. So we recently got a testimonial, as it turned out, we got an email from a client from a couple of years ago who is an accounting manager for one of our financial institution clients. And, you know, totally unsolicited, she just sends this email saying, you know, recently I've been reflecting a lot on the experience that I had with the leaders equipped to actualize potential. And through the LEAP program, I've been calling on that stuff and sharing it with other people here in the organization. And I've realized what a significant change that's made. So I would want to put her picture and her story of how she took the stuff that we did to help her be a good resource for her company and has applied it to every aspect of her life. And how not only is she a more significant contributor, in fact, they moved her into her current position as a result of what they saw from her as a participant in the LEAP program. And so she's actually fulfilling what makes sense for her, where she's playing from her strengths, giving a lot more value to the company, and also taking all that same thinking and attitude and approach and applying it to every aspect of her life. That's gratifying. Yeah. Yeah. When I heard you ask that question, the first thing that popped in my head is sort of a, a headline of the ad would be, people are either your greatest asset or your greatest liability. Which do you want? And it all comes down to, do you have the right people in the right roles playing according to their strengths, their values, their why, you know, clarity around where they're trying to go, taking bold and courageous action and doing so with a positive attitude. That's, what, that's the definition of being on a positive energy path. And if people are on that positive energy path, and they become very inspiring for other people to want to follow, whether that individual is in a position of leadership or not. Because leadership is not about a position of authority or rank. It's not about authority or rank. It's about leading yourself well. And so when people are leading themselves well, they're your greatest asset versus if they're just kind of plugging along, collecting, showing up every day, collecting a paycheck, they're your greatest, greatest liability. Yeah, that reminds me of the... There's a bagel shop in Denver that instead of the employees must wash their hands placards, has a big, big, colorful poster on the wall that said, great leaders wash their hands. And I like that place because I bet you everybody who works there washes their hands when they come out of the restroom. Probably so. Yeah, because you don't go, well, let's see, I didn't wash my hands. Therefore, right. yeah. For you guys, allocation of time, best time allocation or initiative that's helped you guys the most with your company? To me, what comes up for me on that is is really getting – clarity on what are my strengths, what energizes me, which I boil down to the top three, which is building a nurturing relationship. So the opportunity to make new connections and, and build a nurturing relationship with, with uh, business folks. Secondly is teaching people what makes them tick. That's a big part of my why is, is teaching people what makes them tick so they can unlock their full potential. And the third is learning more about what makes people tick so that I have more to teach in the relationships that I have. So the more I can allocate my time towards doing those three things, the more energized energy I have every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for me, I guess the simplest way to put it is being disciplined about avoiding the tyranny of the urgent, because I know what I really need to get done and what's really important and valuable. And I resist the urge to let emptying my inbox of email or 
something else that's important, but is not as mission critical as other things that I know truly are important. So I keep my priorities to say, maybe if I don't respond to you in the next 30 seconds, it's not the end of the world because I'm in the middle of a thought and I want to get this piece of marketing social media article finished. For you guys, unusual habit or what others may consider out of the ordinary that's helped you guys the most with your business? I'll go first. Uh, For me, and it fits somewhat with the first answer I gave just for the other question about the discipline, is I start the day with feeding my soul. So I do my personal devotional Bible study before I do anything else. And that has made a huge difference because the my ability to engage that mindfulness, that uh, presence, and the calm that gives me the ability to just really lean into whatever's next is really based on taking that time to nourish myself spiritually. And then from there, I'm in a good place in every aspect of myself to move forward with whatever it is I need to accomplish that day. I don't know if it's how unusual this is, but it's, it's a technique that I've finally settled in. I used to be, you know, I've always been kind of a list maker, if you will, trying to keep track of all the things that I need to get done. But I would use, oftentimes use that list to you know, kind of beat myself over the head that I didn't get enough done on, it in, on any given day. So I've kind of I've started a practice of having everything in one list of all, all the do's that at some point need to get, you know, I think need to get done. But then off that big master list, pulling off three for today, saying these are the three priorities for today. If I get these three things done, I'll feel like I've had a good day. And then ignoring the rest of that laundry list that got way too many things on it. And eventually these things start falling off of that because if they didn't get them done the last three months, probably not important anymore uh, kind of thing. But that, but being able to separate the big laundry list that all of us have to do to saying what are the most three important things to do today um, is, a, is a, been a very beneficial practice. For me. Just want to throw in, uh, and Bob, you'll relate to this being a veteran, is make the bed in the morning. And I think that there's some benefit that maybe the military figured out before the rest of us is made your bed, go out, and the day is a complete disaster. You started the day well, and when you come home to fall into bed, it's right. So you can start the day right and you end the day right, even if everything in between was a hot mess. And based on uh, a lot of, like my kids, making your bed in the morning is kind of unusual. It is a discipline. For you guys. Advice you'd offer to a CEO that's assuming the role of CEO for the first time? You know, that's actually something that comes up a lot for us. Recognize that you can do more with your people than you can on your own. And if you don't buy that, don't hire them. Realize that things typically take longer than you had expected and cost more than you thought they would. And I think most of all, recognize that empowering people and creating an environment where you do have a high-performance team might look like people do things a way different from how you would have. And if you're really interested in the outcomes rather than in the process, embrace that. To me, the number one thing that comes to mind is embrace and acknowledge that you don't have to have all the answers. Mm. Just because you're the CEO of the organization, people are going to look to you for the answers but you're not going to have them all. And the sooner you recognize that you don't have them all and open yourself up and be more vulnerable and transparent to say, you know what, I don't really, I don't know. And be willing to invite your people into the conversation to help figure out what you think together is, is the best answer. That, that goes a long, long way. Yeah. Common misconceptions about what you guys do or your role in your company. 
probably the biggest one, it kind of goes back to that uh, comment that Kevin referenced from one of our clients about expecting it to be your typical team building, leadership development kind of thing. We're a different cat. That's not what we're about. We're not really about giving you a, a binder that says, here's the way you do it. We're really about helping equip you and your folks with the ability to write your own book and to update it as things change. So it's not a, there's the program, it's one size fits all. It's really an engagement between us and you, because until we're working together, we can't know, just like Kevin just said with the CEO deal, we can't know what's right as far as answering how to solve things for you until we know what's really at issue. Another way I tag on to that is a lot of soft skill training and development in leadership development, team building, professional development kind of work is a lot of what what I call external or extrinsic uh, skills and knowledge based. And we're very intrinsic. Who are you based? Because leading, as I like to say, leading yourself, you're the hardest person in the world to lead is yourself. And and because of that, we've got to go internal. We've got to figure out what's going on inside of us as individuals to really be able to lead ourselves well so that we inspire other people to want to follow. So it's a very intrinsic versus extrinsic approach. Over the past few years, what would or should you have said no to and why? That one's easy for me because it kind of goes back to the prioritization. I read a lot. And you have to really look at everything that you take in through the filter of who you are and what you're wanting. And went through a season actually not that long ago where I think both of us fell victim to trying to be something we weren't and trying to take on, and it was failing to eat our own cooking, basically, trying to take on things that really aren't what we're about. And that's really, I think, a good discipline to always have to say, just because something looks like a good opportunity, is it really your opportunity or is it a good opportunity for somebody else? Yeah, it's recognizing when to say no to a prospect because they're not part of our tribe. Yeah. You know, there's been a few instances where we tried to take on clients that because they you know, felt we needed the revenue, the opportunity was there, but they weren't part of our tribe and it just wasn't a good fit. So, you know, being able to say no to a prospect or even potentially fire an existing client, I think is a huge Huge lesson to learn in terms of saying no. You know, that's not the, that's not going to be a good fit for them or for us. Yeah, and that's really having the ultimately having the integrity to say, you know what, I'm not going to just take your money because it's obvious this isn't going to really give you the outcome you wanted, and I'm going to be miserable while we're at it. So let's don't even start. There's value there, for sure. In the day to day operation of your company, what's the personal habit or self talk dialogue that keeps you guys focused and on task? It's really using our own approach, which is, am I being aligned around who I am as far as my why, my strengths, and my values? Am I clear on pursuing my outcomes that I already know I've got? And are we doing the stuff that I need to to get there? And am I really engaged in a positive way? And if I'm stuck or I'm heading in a negative direction, what's going on? And to be really conscious about asking myself that. Same thing that we look for our clients to be asking themselves. Yeah. It's really kind of a filtering mechanism. Every decision, every opportunity, every shiny object, we both suffer from the, a lot of entrepreneurial, uh, <laughs> the shiny object syndrome. And so you know, having the discipline to, to filter decisions and opportunities that, that present themselves through the, you know, does it align with our why? Does it align with our strengths? And does it align with our values? If it doesn't, 
pass through those filters and it's not, it's time to say no. And what's great in kind of pay it forward and networking is if it's say no, it's not me, but how about you talk to this person? And that's really rewarding too. Well, guys, uh, wrapping it up, if I was to talk to your colleagues and ask them what you guys were best at, what would they say? And how do you guys utilize that strength on a day-to-day basis? For me, I would say people would say is that I've got a really good ability to listen and tell people what they need to hear versus what they want to hear and have them still like me after after the conversations. (laughs) (laughs) There's a gift. (laughs) I've given him that feedback myself. It's like, you know, Kevin, you can say something to someone and have them smile and say, thank you, where they'd punch me in the face. That question, what comes to mind for me is a colleague who works with uh, high wealth family offices said, you know, one of the things that's really unique about you guys is you can create that connection between a CEO or a, a wealthy family owned business leader or whomever it is, the captain or the boss of the thing and the people to where you are able to talk at that strategic level with those key people. And then you're able to help them translate it into terms where the rank and file folks get it and aren't scared away. And so I think that's kind of a cool thing. And that's coming from somebody who I can't quite get my head around how she can work with multi-generational, multi-enterprise, family dynamic situations and not either end up in jail herself or uh, having one of them kill her. Well, Kevin, Brent, thank you so much for taking time. Uh, out of your busy schedule down in Colorado Springs to be on the podcast. And I appreciate you guys sharing your wisdom and insights. Our pleasure. Yeah, genuinely a pleasure. Thank you for having us.